church. Well, here's what I know. Not all Sundays are created equal. And I think every time we gather together, God has something unique and special just for us. So today I want to bring a message entitled, A Psalm of Calm in a Time of Crisis. Can I ask you, is anybody in the room a little COVID-19 fatigued? (laughs) You know, I'm certain that around March of 2020, none of us saw this coming. I mean, we had invisible plagues that sheltered us in. Then there were some raw, visible plagues in the political world, in the racial world, in our communities that brought us out. Uh, You know, I was never given a playbook in my ministerial training, how to lead a church through a pandemic or how to respond to cities and communities that are experiencing public outrage. And in fact, COVID has just put a few people on edge. Do you know any edgy people as a result of COVID? Your laughter is giving it away. I don't think though, I don't think, I don't think That all of the edginess that we feel in culture today can be traced to COVID or race relations or political tensions. I think some of the edginess that we see in culture and we see even in the church is because, well, quite frankly, we just forget the words of the Lord. You know, it happened to the disciples. The disciples, at the end of a day that Jesus had spent ministering, he was teaching, he was preaching, he was praying for the sick, they get into the boat and Jesus says, I want to go to the other side of the lake. And so after he gives those instructions, he lays down and falls asleep. And halfway through that journey to the other side of the lake, a furious storm whips up and and it wigs out the disciples. And the disciples go and they wake up Jesus and they say, Lord, don't you care that we're going to (laughs) drown? Can you imagine waking up Jesus, blaming him that you might drown on the same boat with him? You see, they forgot his words. If Jesus says, I'm going to go to the other side of the lake, you can bet you're going to get to the other side of the lake. And so sometimes in today's culture, here's the deal. I haven't heard a trumpet blast yet. So that means the church is still in business. The church is still essential. And I think we just need to remember some of his words, words like, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We need to remember his words that, we need to remember words like Jeremiah 29, 11 that says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. There are plans not for disaster, but a plan to give you a future and a hope. We need to remember scriptures like Psalm 46, 1 that says, God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. So this morning, I want to unpack a six-verse psalm. It's just a small psalm. In fact, in fact, I suspect many of you in this room know this psalm. Whether you're a seasoned saint or a brand new Christian or a seeker, I suspect many in this room know the psalm and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to start quoting this psalm and when I come to a halt, I want you to fill in the words of this psalm. Let's try it. It starts out by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I, he makes me lie down in and leads me beside, look at that, you know this. He restoreth my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the, of the, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy, and thy, 
they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely and shall follow me all the days of my life. And I dwell. Come on, let's say that again. I will dwell in the Oh, say it one more time. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah. And there's something cool about just hearing the Word of God, saying the Word of God. You know, Psalm 23 uh, was meant to inspire calm. I mean, from this psalm, you actually see how how personal the Lord is to David, that he provides for David, he guides David, he, he, he takes care of his, his, his emotional well-being. He leads him down right paths, he directs him, he encourages him. And I would submit to you this morning that from this six-verse psalm, there are six things, one from each verse, that we can expect from God as we're going through these crazy, ever-changing, unpredictable days that we're living in. And we see it right off the bat. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can I submit to you this morning that we can expect that God will meet our needs? That is the sheep of his pasture. We can expect that God will meet our needs. Now, it might look different than what you had in mind, and how he meets my needs compared to how he meets your needs might be different, but the fact of the matter is we serve a God who is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We serve a God whose name is El Shaddai, the God of plenty, the all-sufficient one. I promise you, we serve a God that can meet our needs. Verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside calm waters. We can expect that God will lead us to paths of peace where we can relax. How many of you think that nationally we could use a few paths of peace where people could relax? I would submit to you, God's care, God's love is so all-encompassing, so extensive that you can find a path of peace where you can relax. Thirdly, I would submit that because the Bible says he restoreth my soul, that you can expect that God will replenish your strength and guide you along your right path. Now, there's a lot of people today that are running on fumes, and they're exhausted, and that exhaustion that they feel is real. But so, too, is the strength that God provides. He guides us along the right path for His name's sake. So that means whether you're dealing with a virus, whether you're dealing with, is a new business going to mask up or not mask up, or we're dealing with raw political issues, or we're watching a moral revolution take place right in front of us in our culture, I'm telling you that God will guide us along the right path. But the choice that you and I have to make is, will we allow His Word and His Spirit to filter out all the information that comes into our minds? Can I tell you, many Christians would do themselves well by taking a Fox News break, or a CNN news break, or a Drudge Report news break. I'm serious. You turn on the news and watch it for any amount of time, you get depressed. There's just, and and there's a spirit about how they present that. And have you discovered not everything that's on the internet or not everything that's on your favorite news broadcast is always true, but God's word is true. 
And I think there are some times in the walk with Jesus that we've got to let God talk be louder than self-talk and news talk. We've just got to let His Word, His Word. You say, Pastor Clay, do you believe that strongly in the Word of God? Do you believe that God will meet our needs, that He'll guide us along the right path for peace, that He'll, he'll restore our soul and, and take care of us emotionally? Yes, I do, because I believe that God doesn't lie and will be true to His Word. Have you ever been the victim of a broken promise? It hurts. And when someone breaks a promise to you, it's generally because they don't have integrity or ability. In other words, when someone breaks a promise, they don't follow through on what they said that we do, or they don't have the resources to back up what they said they would do. But New Life, can I remind you today, we serve a God who's got both the integrity and the ability to back up every single promise he made in his word. And I'm grateful for that today. I suspect I discovered the power of that in living color in my own life my freshman year in Bible college. Now, I'm a I'm a preacher's kid, so that means I was born and raised in this thing. I, I literally cut my teeth on the back of church pews. My dad was the pastor. My mom was the minister of music. Can I tell you, there were many Sunday nights I was left sleeping in the pew. <laughs> dad thought mom was going to take me home. Mom thought dad was going to take me home. Listen, you can sing all you want. These are the days of Elijah and our God reigns, but you wake up and the lights are out. A church is a spooky place to wake up when you're a little boy and you're sleeping on a pew. You hear things you shouldn't hear. Oh, I love the church. I knew which Sunday school teacher served the best snacks. So if the altar service was going a little long, I would find that supply closet and I would chow down on double stuffed Oreo cookies. I'm just telling you, I love the church. (laughs) When I was nine years old, um, my dad died suddenly of a massive heart attack. I was nine, my brother was 15, my sister was 18, my dad was 40 years old when he passed. We were part of a great church, great church, much like New Life, and so growing up, um, I really didn't feel the negative impact of being raised by a single mom because, well, I had a lot of spiritual dads. In the church. I had Royal Ranger commanders help me build my Pinewood Derby car, youth sponsors that would take me on campouts and canoe trips, and other youth sponsors that would take me to Detroit Tiger baseball games. This will sound crazy. I kind of felt sorry for kids who only had one dad. You know, can I pause and just say something here today? If you're here today and you're a single mom, I want you to know a couple things. Number one, you're my hero. And number two, I really do believe that you can make it. You can make it. But you're going to need the strength of a church like New Life where there are a lot of spiritual men who can become spiritual dads for your kids. And men of New Life, can I encourage you? I want you to be the answer to some single mom's prayer who are looking for a godly example. Well, it was in the context of the local church that I felt God's call on my life to go into ministry. So I took off and I went to the same Bible college where your district network superintendent went, Central Bible College, Springfield, Missouri. And that's when it happened. Uh, I started meeting other preacher's kids. My roommate was a preacher's kid from Carlinville, Illinois. And so on the weekends, he would go home His dad would give him an opportunity to maybe take part in a service or be a part of a board meeting. 
And so he would come back late Sunday night, and we would just stay up late Sunday night, early hours Monday morning, talking, just talking church stuff. He would say things like, my dad said this is how we ought to do assimilation. My dad said this is how we ought to do leadership development. My dad said this is how we ought to do community outreach. My dad said, my dad said, my dad. And for one of the first times in my life, I felt like I had been cheated by God. I thought, Lord, I would like a dad that would mentor me in these pastoral principles. I'd like a dad that would walk this out. And all of a sudden, I got ticked off at God. I thought, Lord, that's not fair. Why would you take my dad from me at such an early age? God, this doesn't make sense. Now watch this. Instead of processing the reality of my situation through the truth of Scripture, I began to process my realities through my own emotions. And that's dangerous. See, one of the reasons why your pastoral team places such a high priority on Scripture is because when you go through one of those why is this happening to me type times, if you're not careful, you'll have a tendency to want to listen to yourself rather than the truth of God's Word. And here's what I know about myself. Myself lies to me at times. My emotions don't always tell me the truth, but God's Word will never lie to me. So I was feeling like God's unfair, God's unjust. So I was ready to quit school, walk away from this call of God on my life, and go home and take care of my mom. I'll never forget, I remember calling my mom one night and saying, Mom, this doesn't make sense. Connect the dots for me. Why would God do something this unfair to our family? And like only a godly pastor's wife, mom, could do. She said, honey, I can't answer all your whys, but I can promise you this. And my mom broke into this really cool prayer. Her prayer went something like this. Lord, you said in your word. <laughs> now, you know what? I grew up with my mom using that phrase an awful lot. And can I confess something to you? I'm feeling right at home here at New Life. I'm 58 years old. I'm the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. But I got to tell you, I don't think everything my mom said was in the book was really in the book. I think she used that sometimes to leverage her authority against us boys. But this time, she was spot on. Her prayer went like this. Lord, you said in your word, you'd be a father to the fatherless. And I claim that promise for my son, Doug, in Jesus' name. Well, we hung up, and I didn't feel any better. <laughs> Two days later, there was a, a chapel service where there was a missionary, and this missionary gave a call for students to come forward and commit themselves to going into the ministry and maybe considering going to the mission field. And while all the students were going forward singing, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, I didn't. I just turned around and I knelt in my chapel seat. By this time, I wasn't even praying. I was just sort of venting frustration to God. God, this stinks. I was in that knelt position for a few minutes, and all of a sudden, I felt the strength and the warmth of a large hand placed on my back. And I turned around and I looked, and when I turned around and I looked, there was Coach Arnold, Forrest Arnold, six foot six, 250 pounds, a hulk of a man. And he had his big old paw, I mean his hand, on my back. And he was from that generation that would always push on you while he was praying for you. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, I was the only kid in elementary school never checked for scoliosis because every Sunday night, that's how the deacons prayed for me and they just kind of aligned me on my back. I turned and I looked and uh, Coach had a tear coming down his cheek. 
He said, Duggar, I knew your dad and I know your mom and both of them would be really proud of you. And that's when it happened, New Life. He took his hand and he pulled it to my shoulder and he pulled me really tight into himself. And he said, I just want you to know that as long as you are at Central Bible College, I consider you like my own son. And when he said son, I jumped up and I tried to hug him and he hugged me and I snotted and cried all down the front of his shirt. But in that embrace, church, in that embrace, it was like instant replay going off in my mind that 48 hours earlier there was a godly mom who said, Lord, you said in your word. Listen, I can't promise you that the next 30 to 60, 90 days are going to be hassle-free. I can't promise you we're not going to have new restrictions. I can't promise you that the political climate's going to ease up. I can't promise you that good people aren't going to disappoint you. But I can promise you this, though mountains may crumble and seas run dry, it's the word of our God that stands forever. And God has both the integrity and the ability to back up every single promise in his word. So when he says he'll provide for you, when he guides for you, he cares for you, I believe it. And so I believe this. Not because it's some uh, job requirement. I believe it because I've experienced in my own life that we serve a God who's got integrity and got ability to back up what he says. Verse 4, watch this. Even, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or as one translation says, even when I walk through the darkest of valleys, I'll not be afraid, for thou art with me. I believe the fourth thing that we can expect from God is that we can expect Him to walk with us when things get worse, before they get better. Valley, valley. There are four times that valleys mentioned in Scripture. There's the Valley of Calamity in Joshua 7. There's the Valley of, valley of Weeping in Psalm 84. There's a whole book about the Valley of Trouble called the Book of Hosea. And then here in Psalm 23, there's this deep, dark valley. Can I take a couple of moments and just shed some light on dark valleys for a minute? First of all, valleys are inevitable. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Secondly, valleys are unpredictable. They come at the worst time. Have you ever had a flat tire at a good time? Thirdly, valleys are impartial. No one is immune to valleys. No one's immune to difficulty. But fourthly, valleys are temporary. They have an expiration date. And one of the promises that God gives to us in Psalm 23 is this. When you're walking through that valley and underline the word walk because valleys were never designed to camp out in but to walk through. We don't stay parked in a valley. You stay parked in a valley, you develop a victim mindset. You begin to feel sorry for yourself. But as you walk through a valley, we've got a shepherd that has a rod and a staff to comfort us. Now we know the shepherd's rod was used to defend uh, the predators for the sheep, but the staff part of that rod is what he uses to draw the sheep back to himself. You see, when the sheep start to drift away, the shepherd would use the staff to draw the sheep back to himself. What a beautiful picture of God our shepherd desiring to have close proximity with us when we try to start distancing ourselves from him. 
I've always understood that scripture in James. It says, if I draw nine to the Lord, the Lord will draw nine to me. But this gives me a picture that I serve a God that wants to get close to me when I start drifting away from him. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? And you know what this reminds me? This tells me that sometimes in the crazy shake my head can't understand what's going on type times that we're living in, sometimes the most important and therapeutic thing you can do for yourself is just to be in the presence of the Lord. To come in the presence of the Lord and sing, your promise still stands, great is thy faithfulness. Come into the presence of the Lord, just being in the presence of the Lord. Can I tell you the presence of the Lord can do more for your spirit than any blog you read, any podcast you listen to, and any accountability association you might be a part of. It's the presence, the presence of the Lord. I suspect I discovered the power of presence in my own life with my six-year-old grandson, uh, Jackson. Do we have any grandparents in church? If you're a grandparent, isn't grandparenting just a blast? Isn't it awesome? You know, I've discovered that the reason why grandparents and grandkids get along so well, it's because we have the same common enemy, their parents. <laughs> it's true. We have seven grandchildren, ages nine to two, and Jackson is the oldest grandson, and a couple of years ago, he and I thought, you know, it's time for him to have an overnighter at Papa's house. Well, we had to convince his mom, my firstborn daughter, and it took a lot of work. We tag-teamed together, and we finally got her to concede it would be okay to have an overnighter at Papa's house. I'll never forget. I pulled into the driveway to pick him up. He was standing in the doorway. He had a Spider-Man backpack just filled with stuff. And, and when I pulled in, he said, Papa, Papa. I said, Jackson, you ready to come to Papa's house? He said, yeah, I am. And I walked up to get him. And as we turned to walk back to the truck, his mom, my firstborn, said, uh, Dad, Dad. I said, yeah. She handed me a three-by-five card, and on this three-by-five card, there was a set of six very specific instructions. I thought I raised her better than that. I started reading these instructions. I got down to instruction number three, dad, comma, after 6 p.m., please make sure you put two parts water, one part apple juice in his sippy cup. Well, I thought, first of all, we don't do mixed drinks at Papa's house. We're 100% Dr. Pepper at Papa's house. <laughs> Two parts water, one part. Yeah, okay, babe, I got it. We got in the truck. I ripped that sucker up. I said, come on, Jackson, we're going to Papa's house and have some fun. And we did. No problems. We played wiffle ball, hide and go seek. We watched Paw Patrol cartoons. I mean, it was great. It got time for him to have, his jam, uh, to have his bath and get his jammies on, and things were just going perfect, despite the six specific instructions. But about the time uh, Jackson was to retire, a southwest Missouri thunderstorm whipped up. I mean, it was a doozy. Loud thunder, flashing lightning, and I could tell the little tyke was nervous. So I said, little buddy, you want to sleep in Papa's room? He said, yeah, I do, yeah, I do. So I made him a little sleeping area just down on my side on the floor by my side of the bed. And I said, now, little buddy, just lay down. He'd lay down. Boom, a crack of thunder. He'd jump up. I'd say, you're okay. Lay back down. He'd lay down. A flash of lightning. He'd jump back up. This happened about four times. 
Finally, finally, after the fourth or fifth time he jumped, I said something. Now, I, what I said no, makes no meteorological sense, makes no theological sense. It just sort of came out. But he popped up, and I was trying to bring him a sense of calm. I said, now, Jackson, little buddy, you don't have to be afraid of thunder. After all, thunder is nothing more than just God moving his furniture up in heaven. <laughs> hey, don't judge me. Don't judge me. You would have put Robitussin in that sippy cup, so don't judge me. <laughs> I just want the little guy to go to sleep. So, Jackson, listen, thunder's nothing more than God. Oh, he said. And he laid back down. Next crack of thunder hit, he didn't pop up. I'm like, cool. I'll let his kid's pastor work out his theology. I just want him to go to sleep. So he lays down there, another flash of lightning, he didn't jump up. I'm like, this is great. So I roll over and just about to go to sleep. And about that time, a loud reverberating thunder hit. Now, come on, grandparents, we have an extra sense. I could feel a set of eyes looking at me. I could just... And when I rolled over, sure enough, he wasn't standing all the way up. He was just looking above the mattress. Just, but his eyes were wide open. And when I rolled over, before I could say anything, he said, Papa, do you think that I could sleep with you till God quits moving his furniture? <laughs> I said, you bet, little buddy. So I picked him up and I plopped him down next to me. And church, within 30 seconds, he was out. He was out. You see, I couldn't convince Jackson that the storm on the outside wouldn't hurt him on the inside. But as long as he was in close proximity to Papa, he had a sense of security to give him the ability to rest comfortably. Hey, sometimes, regardless of what the CDC guidelines are, regardless of what new announcement comes, sometimes what we need most is the presence of the Lord. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves he's as close as the mention of his name. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves that the name of the Lord is a strong tower where the righteous can run and are safe. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of Isaiah 41.10 that says the Lord will sustain us with his righteous right hand. I'm telling you, sometimes you just need to feel the presence of the Lord. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. He uses the staff to draw us close to himself. Aren't you thankful today we serve a God that wants to be close to us when things get worse? Verse 5 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Can I tell you, we can expect that God will grant to us divine favor. Divine favor. Now, don't misunderstand the teaching of this verse. This verse doesn't suggest, it all, does not suggest that spiritual status makes you immune from difficult times. <laughs> we were at Silver Dollar City a couple weeks ago with the grandkids. It's a little amusement park in Branson, Missouri, and the lines were long, and I had two of the grandsons with me and, and one of the moms, and, and, and Mason and Callum were just fidgety. The line wasn't going slow, and finally, Callum just looked up to me and said, Papa, can't you go up there and tell him you're general superintendent and we get line cuts? <laughs> I said, no, it doesn't work that way. You see, this verse isn't saying that you arrive at a certain place spiritually and then you're immune from difficulties. But it does say that God will show his favor on you in front of your enemies. 
In other words, a sense of peace, a sense of perspective, a sense of, of, of calm. He goes on to say, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Now, it may not feel like it, but I promise you, as a child of God, you can count on the fact that every single day, God's goodness and mercy will be there. In fact, there's not a day that goes by that you won't have goodness and mercy of the Lord immediately nearby. The favor of the Lord, a perspective when everybody else is wigging out, a sense of calm when other people can't figure things out. We can expect that that's what God will do for his children. The sixth thing we can expect from God is that we can expect to be with him in heaven someday really soon because he goes on to say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, no matter what you experience here on earth, friends, you need to remember life on earth is really just dress rehearsal for all of eternity. In fact, it's the concept of heaven that Jesus used to comfort his anxious-filled disciples. Remember the disciples were finally realizing that Jesus was going to leave him, them and return back to the Father? Christ was aware of their anxiety and he says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled, John 14. If you believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you can be also. I love the fact that the psalmist and Jesus both, in trying to bring in a sense of calm to the people they were serving, draws their attention to heaven. To heaven. Heaven is not some figment of our imagination. Heaven is not some some. some crutch that we lean on to try to get people through. Heaven is a very real place. In fact, the Bible says that heaven is a prepared place. It's a place for prepared people. It's not up to me to get to heaven safely, but it is up to me to accept Jesus Christ into my life in order to get to heaven. Heaven. Oh, it's no wonder people my mom's age make statements like, oh, I'm so homesick for heaven. It's because they understand the reality. They understand the reality that heaven is not only a prepared place, but it's a place of release. In heaven will be released from pain, suffering, sorrow, depression, COVID-19. In fact, Revelation 21 says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. All the old order of things will pass away. All things will become new. So heaven isn't just a, a concept we try to keep alive in a church to bring some sense of temporary hope. Heaven's real. You know, if I were to summarize, and I'm going to ask Josh to come back, if I were to summarize Psalm 23 from sort of a 30,000-foot view, if I want you to remember this teaching all week, these are the takeaways that I want you to remember from Psalm 23. The first one is this, God is in control, but you've got to let him lead. I said God is in control, but you have to let him lead. Secondly, life really is full of valleys. You're not going to escape it. It's full of unpredictable, wrongly timed valleys. The valleys were never designed to live in, but to walk through. The third takeaway that I would leave with you this morning is this. Heaven is real. Heaven is real. And God wants to spend 
all of eternity with you in heaven. He does. I thought about this this morning. I thought, you know, if God the Father was so right on in His timing and in the reality of sending His Son Jesus to earth the first time, and we're reminded of that every December, we celebrate the fact that in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Christmas is an annual reminder that God keeps His Word. Well, if God kept His Word about His Son coming the first time, I can promise you He'll keep His Word regarding His Son's coming the second time. And I believe that that coming is very, very soon. But when the Lord comes, He's coming for His people. He's coming for those who know Him. So the beautiful thing is this, while we're here on earth, we've got goodness and mercy following us, but when the Lord desires to either take us home or we're raptured home, we're going to be able to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, it's a psalm meant to inspire calmness, but the ultimate calmness is when you know that you know that you're a child of God, you're the sheep of His pasture, you're the people of His care.